You're listening to the Ecclesia of Newton Sermon Podcast. If you'd like to show your support or find out more information, check out our website, ecclesianewton.com. Is the first commentary on what it means to have a Christian call, right? So uh, the Christian call, according to um, the Apostle Paul, is to be humble. And yet, uh, as he's made that statement, as he's made that principle, and now he's made this first sort of, this is what you need to do with all this three chapters of theology that I've just given you, uh, now he's going to take those two verses and he's going to unpack what all of that means, what, to walk worthy of the Christian calling. And his first subject that he brings out is unity. talk about unity. Um, I think it's very natural uh, to sort of silo ourselves together, right? Um, I believe it was Martin Luther King Jr. who said, we hate uh, because uh, people are not like us. We fear because people are not like us. And we very naturally, I think instinctively, kind of silo ourselves with people look like us, feel like us, sound like us, um, rather than appreciate diversity around us. And of course, today what we're talking about is unity within the Christian church. Not only unity within the local church, which is quite important here today, uh, but moreover, just the church. That, that is the idea, right? So um, unity, of course, the complete opposite of unity strife, quarrel, being, always being in a fight. The Bible uses the word quarrel. Um, qualifications for uh, God's servant is that um, he is to avoid irreverent babble. Um, and uh, so I think if I know myself well, uh, when I get bored, uh, I, I sort of reduce into uh, being petty. Does that make sense? And uh, the Bible speaks very clearly to how the Christian is to sort of react um, to that and, and be unified. Here's the overarching message for today. How is it that you're supposed to be unified? Uh, how is it that you're supposed to experience unity? And where you get that through is the bond of peace. And, of course, the question is, well, where does that peace come from? Peace and unity are a gift from God. Peace and unity are a gift from God given by the Holy Spirit of God, right? So uh, if you look at our first verse here in verse 3, uh, eager to maintain the unity, what unity? Of the Spirit. So, so the, just like the fruit of the Spirit belongs to the Spirit, uh, and is worked out and born out in our lives. So the unity of the Spirit belongs to him and is given to us just like the love of God is. It belongs to him and then, and then we get it uh, and then subsequently love. We get that through the bond of peace. So, so God gives that, 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 that love, which brings us to point three today. Your point, if you're taking notes, is peace and unity rooted in the gospel. 
peace and unity rooted in the gospel. So what you're going to find here today is you're going to find unity that's rooted in the work of God, number one, and then unity that's rooted in the person of God, okay? So number one, unity that's rooted in the work of God, okay? And, and that's the gospel. Number two, unity that's rooted in the, uh, in the person of God. So uh, how many gods do we serve? One God, three persons, right? So uh, you are to be unified because God is unified, right? Um, and also you are uh, to be unified and at peace with one another because of the peace that God has won with you, namely reconciliation. The definition for reconciliation is to be brought back into a right relationship with someone. So reconciliation is to be brought back into a right relationship with someone. Another definition for reconciliation is peace made between two opposing parties. So peace made between the two opposing parties. Well, how, how are you unified with other believers? Um, well, first of all, it's hard work. Secondly, you keep your eyes focused on the nature of God and who God is. And next, on the work of God. If, if... Uh, of course, you must first recognize that this is this kind of peace and unity is nothing that you go out and acquire. You don't buy it at a store, right? You're gifted it. You're gifted God's peace. You're gifted His peace, and as a result, well, you say, "Well, what am I supposed to do with this? What's the human action of being given God's peace, being given God's unity and salvation?" And the answer is to guard it and keep it, right? So what's the human response? What do you do today? If, if peace and unity are gift from God, what do I do it once, once I get with it? You, you guard it with your life, with your mind, with your heart. Um, are we doing things? Are we saying things? Are we, um, are we treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God? This is not a, this is not a good way. Uh, as Paul tells Timothy, for us to achieve any kind of unity. Um, that, that's, that's, that's not what we're, uh, the direction that at all that we're supposed to go. Uh, really, what's interesting here in verse 3, too, is that he says that we are to be eager to maintain. That's the keep and guarding part, right? So, yes, peace and unity are a gift from God, but no, we have a, there's a maintenance part in there. Now, is that maintenance uh, empowered by the Holy Spirit of God? Well, of course it is. But is there a guarding aspect there? Is there a keeping aspect where you're very much uh, called to? Yeah, that's your calling. The calling is to be involved. Um, the calling is to keep peace. Uh, the word eager sounds a lot like Paul's prison request last week when he said urge. Do you remember that word urge that we were talking about last week? The, there was a prison request, and Paul wasn't making requests for personal effects or personal favors or food or visitors or anything like that. The one prison urge that he had was, I want, I urge to walk worthy of that, that was Paul's prison request. And now, that he's using similar language, and similar language uh, of urge is, is Eager. Be eager. Uh, what does the word eager mean? It means on the edge of your seat, zealous, ready for. You know, um, uh, you you well know that people do what they want to do. There's an eagerness uh, of a person who who is has their mind bent on something. And what is in view here? The idea is that we should be eager to be unified 
um, with one another in the bond of peace. Of course, we, we, we know our source of peace, right? Our source of peace is the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't, I, I don't know if you can imagine him standing in Palestine on Israeli soil and saying these words. John 14, 27, my peace I give with you. My peace I give to you. My peace I leave with you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. Let, your, let not your heart be troubled, nor fear. So how are you unified with one another? Well, you're unified with one another in peace. You keep peace. You agree with the Sermon on the Mount that blessed are the peacemakers. This is your role and my role in living a life worthy of the calling with which we've been called. This peace that we have is a gospel enterprise. As we said before, it's a gospel gift. That's what it is, right? Uh, Romans 5, 1 would be familiar to your ears. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We get peace, Romans 5, 1, from God. That's what we get. And it's because of the peace that I enjoy with the Father. It's because I'm not at odds with God anymore that I can look at everyone else within the church uh, despite our differences and look at them and say, hey, this is not a suggestion for me to be unified with you. This is a command. This is a part of my call. My call is to bear with you in love, to be humble, uh, to be rooted in love. This is what I'm supposed to do. And the outworking uh, here is something that that, that is, is a right. so Colossians chapter 1 verse 20. If you're taking notes, I would certainly write that down. Colossians chapter 1 verse 20, a very consequential verse, a sister verse, in fact, to our verse here. Today, Colossians 1.20 reads, And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So what is peace but reconciliation? That's, the, that's, the, that's what you have. And not only do you have peace with God, but you've been given the ministry of reconciliation. You've been given the ministry of peace. which means now you have a ministry and your ministry is to be a peacemaker, a peacekeeper, right? Now, the first place that that's got to be kept is in your own heart. You're never, never going to live in solidarity and peace with other Christians if you're first not recognizing peace uh, that God has won for you that reigns in you. That's never going to happen. You're never going to guard it. You're never going to keep it. It's not going to be maintained uh, if you don't see that it's rooted first in the gospel. Um, if, if you're needing a reference point for what a lack of peace looks like, then you would need to look no further uh, to people who do not have the Holy Spirit of God put in, put in them, who do not have peace with God, right? Right? Uh, God makes it very, very clear um, that uh, if it looks like they have sin in their life, right, they're all peaceful, that, that it's just a facade, it's just a mirage. Uh, in fact, it, it, it is not so. Um, as a matter of fact, the God 
prophets say peace peace and there is no peace and because you are saying such then we'll, we'll, we'll make no peace in your land that he brings judgment so uh, it's important that we call a spade a spade I mean God in, in Isaiah chapter 48 verse 22 tells us very clear the wicked have no peace the wicked have no peace um, uh, please make, make the differentiation between scriptural terms. So let's listen very carefully, okay? The Bible talks differently about ungodliness than it does wickedness. Does that make sense? You and I are, are, are believers, and yet we fall in and out of ungodliness, okay? But the wicked is a category of unrighteous people. Does that make sense? So uh, do, do you live your life uh, hour to hour without reference to God? You very well might, and that would be Christian ungodliness. But you are in no way, shape, form, or fashion wicked. That's a state of being, a soul state of being. And so in Isaiah chapter 48, 22, when it says, there is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked, that's what he's talking about. But in terms of just who the wicked are, they have no peace. God says so. There is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. And then, of course, what are Christians to do? Though they have none, we are to reflect the rule of God in our lives. And when we reflect the rule of God in our lives, what we're doing is we're saying, yeah, God's won peace for me. And as a result, uh, I'm going to be unified in solidarity, making peace with others, not making fights with others, avoiding conflict where I need to, owning up to, to, to my parts in, in conflict that I need to, apologizing where I need to, dealing with what I need to deal with, uh, confessing what I need to confess. I'm horrible at this. Uh, and, and then saying, hey, this is, this is my responsibility. Let's make peace. So, so um, you and I are to follow um, the prescription for the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Uh, so Paul is saying, now, not just do this, but be eager to do this. Have an eagerness to be a peacemaker uh, and to be unified with others around you. So, uh, here's, here's a quick review uh, for, for verse 3. The peace of God is a work of the Holy Spirit. Okay? The peace of God is a work of the Holy Spirit, uh, which means the peace of God is a gift from God. It is, however, to be kept and guarded by you. If... You and I, before we move on to verse 4. If we live in the realities of peace that God has won for us, then we will be unified in peace. That is to say, we need to keep our heart and our mind directed where it needs to be directed. Does that make sense? Like, that's, that's what we need to do. And now verse 4 comes. If you're taking notes, verse 4 is entitled, Creed and Hope. Creed and Hope. So there are biblical creeds <clears throat> that we find. They... they these creeds poke their heads up in the scriptures, but there's no title for them. It doesn't say, hey, it doesn't wave its hand and say, hey, this is a creed. I need you to stop, right? Um, but we can see creedal Christianity coming out on the pages of scripture. It's a wonderful thing to see. Um, uh, we found that everywhere there's a gospel creed over in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, verses 3 to 5. Uh, probably, not probably, definitely, without question, an early creed. Here is one such creed. 
and you, you can hear it um, in the cadence and the meter as it flows. Uh, verse 4, there is one body and one spirit. Uh, this is part of the creed. There's one body and, and one spirit, just as you were called to the hope that belongs to your call. So, so part of the Christian creed here that you just kind of see that kind of sticks its head up out of the ground and says, hey, there's, there's one body, and by one body we mean one church, um, and there's one spirit, one, one holy spirit, just as you were called. So he's referencing back to the calling of verses 1 and 2, to the one hope that belongs to your call. Um, so what Paul is trying to say here is that there is one God, just one. Um, and that when we make confessions or, or other creedal confessions, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3, no one can say without the Spirit of God, Jesus is Lord. And by saying Jesus is Lord, you're also saying Jesus is God and is one with the Father. Um, uh, there's, there's this idea that um, here you and I are to be one with one another because God is one with one another. Just like we're supposed to be relational with one another because God is relational within himself, within the Trinity. That's, that's what you and I are uh, supposed to be. Now, saying all of this, saying you're supposed to be unified with everyone is nice and preachy, and it sounds wonderful and very theological, might I add. But the problem is, is when our feet hit the ground, what this truly and actually looks like. Actually being peaceable with people. Actually enduring with people. Actually um, bearing all things. Actually not keeping records of wrong. Actually being kind. Actually being wholesome with our speech and wholesome with our nonverbal communication towards them. All the things that do breed quarrels. Right? That's where this thing gets different because look at the variety in our life. Look at the variety in our life. Look at all the different people from all the different cultures and all the different backgrounds and, and sort of all the different things that they've been through, and we're all products of that. Uh, and what, what we have to recognize is just this very elementary uh, but mature statement, not everyone is like me. Not everyone is going to say things that I say, when I say them, how I would say them. This is just fundamental interpersonal relationships 101, right? But yet, we do, I do expect them to say what I want them to say, I want them to say So, um, it, it says here in the creed, uh, there is one body and one spirit. And what he's trying to say is, look, there's one church, and that one church is rooted in the oneness of God. And then it goes on here, kind of gets off track, and he says, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. What is that one hope? So, so, so you have your calling, and your Christian calling is to be humble, bear with, bear with all, be holy, be righteous. But what is what is the hope that you have? We Peter says you were born to a living hope, right? Uh, it, the, the hope that is in view here is the same hope in Q1. So what is, what is the question for Q1 in our catechism? Go ahead, Tree. Hope. 
What is our only hope in life and death? And what's the answer? That we are not our own, but we belong, body and soul, both in life and death, to God. This, this is the hope that's in view here. It's, it's, it, it's the living hope and that we were born to that we went through in First Peter. It is the hope in our catechism. It is the great hope that Jesus uh, has, in fact, saved our souls. It is the unwavering belief that there is horrible bad news and that God has made good news in it. Uh, what is our only hope in life and death? Hey, listen, in a world full of chaos, you and I need to be rooted in wisdom. We're never going to be peacemakers unless you're wise. You're never going to be a peacemaker unless you see that the motivation, the fuel for unity, the fuel for peace is rooted in the gospel and it's rooted in the person of God and that's why you do it. That's why you do it. Why, at the end of a long day, do you look forward to sitting down in a chair because your body needs relief. That's why. Why, similarly, do you pursue peace with men? Because of the gospel. It is an urging. It is an eagerness. It is a want to, but it must be rooted in a motivation. There must be something urgent in it, right? And many of you, after working long 8, 12, 14-hour days, man, it just feels good to sit down, right? Uh, likewise, why do we do what we do? Why are we peacemakers? We're peacemakers because we serve a peacemaking God. We serve a God who could have thrown the whole thing away but decided to um, not do that, to come and rescue the world at his own cost. You and I should walk in um, be rooted in love and, and wisdom. <clears throat> we should consider such creeds like this as an anchor for our lives. The Bible says later, and we'll look at it in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 16, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Listen, you're going to have to be sharp emotionally to keep peace with others. You're going to have to be sharp mentally and spiritually. You're going to have to be anchored in something. And what you can't be anchored in is in your own convenience. I'm going to keep peace because uh, this is going to be convenient for me. No, you're going to keep peace, not because it's expedient for you. You're going to keep peace because it's rooted in the nature of God. You're going to keep peace because the gospel says to do so. You're going to keep peace because it says that's your very calling, your whole life. You've been given the ministry of peacemaking and reconciliation. You are to point others to a chaotic soul state that they are in and by all means lay your own life down for that message at your own cost and your own sacrifice telling them exactly what God has done, which brings us to our last point in verses 5 and 6. Verse 5 and 6, peace and unity are rooted in the Godhead. Peace and unity are rooted in the Godhead. 
So the last point was creed and hope. Five and six is peace and unity rooted in the Godhead. Listen to the creed go on as it segues. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all, who is over all and through all and in all. Right? This is the. So this is clearly it's a creed, right? I mean, you, you, you can hear it. Doesn't it sound? Doesn't it sound like like the Apostles' Creed ish, right? Definitely, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father who, of all, who is over all and through all. Uh, note, please, here. Um, listen to what it... So, so, so when it says one Lord, it, it's sort of hailing back to, to one spirit, right? So it's reminding pe- people in the creed, hey, uh, you're unified because you serve one God, a Trinitarian God, who's one in three persons, but he's nevertheless one the same. And then it says, one faith, one baptism. You, So my daughter and I, we share a common faith. This is exactly what Paul told Titus in, in Titus chapter 1 and verse 4. He said, to Titus, my true child in a common faith. Titus chapter 1 verse 4. To Titus, my true child in a common faith. You have a common faith with people who do not look like you, think like you, uh, or headed in the direction that you are in, who live in the same states that, that, that you do, but you share a common Christian faith. And as a result of that common Christian faith, you also share one baptism. And by the way, bapti- what is baptism? It is a public statement of that faith, right? It is a public statement of that faith. i never forget, um, we went to a uh, baptismal ceremony when Cindy and I were living in England, and it was an Arabic church plant that we were a part of, and the lady who was being baptized had written out her testimony in Arabic, and it was in, they had printed her full testimony of faith in Christ in, in Arabic, and it was, it was a full page long in the bulletin in Arabic, and then on the other page was the English, so you could read it. But as she was being baptized, this was her public statement of faith so that she could let everybody know, look, this is who I am, right? So we would go to church on All Souls in the morning, and in the evenings, Oasis was a church plan in the evenings, and we would go there every Sunday night. And it was phenomenal to see this lady profess her faith in Christ. And and whether it's in London by an Arab believer or whether it's you here in Coweta County on a Sunday morning being baptized, whenever you were baptized, wherever you were baptized, that is a public profession of your one faith. You have one baptism. That that is certainly the, the idea. Baptism is the outward sign of our common faith. The baptism is a sacrament it is a show of grace, uh, and it is uh, it is a it is a sacrament of unity. That, that that's exactly what it is. So, uh, the, I think the question is, why didn't the Lord's Supper make it in this creed? Why? Like, what? Wh- why didn't it say uh, one, one Lord's Supper? Like, what? Why is that not there? And I'm not exactly sure. Um, I, I do know that there's a difference between the two. One is said at the initial stages of your Christian faith, and one is the, the other sacrament, the Lord's table, is given kind of for, I mean, and it's also a sacrament of unity, okay, but it's kind of given towards the support and the development of your faith, where you take it week in and week out, and you're constantly reminded of the gospel, and the gospel feeds you over and over again, and um, it, it heads in that direction.
Um, so we're almost done here. L- let me uh, turn your attention to Galatians chapter 3, verses 27 and 28. Galatians chapter 3, verses 27 and 28. Uh, it talks not only about unity across uh, demographic lines, but it also talks about this one baptism that you enjoy. So baptism and diversity. Galatians chapter 3, verses 27 through 28 Galatians chapter 3, verses 27 through 28. For as many of you were baptized into Christ and have put on Christ, neither is there Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, nor male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So not only does this verse talk about great unity and, and, and breaking down things that disunify us, right? But also he says, hey, for as many of you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. So there's this unifying element here. Um, um, so so what, what Paul is trying to do is Paul is trying to give them every touch point of the things that they hold in common. You have the same faith. You are unified in the same Christ. You have the same baptism. You have the same God. Um, of course, he talks about God the Father here, right? Uh, you see, you have the same Father, right? Uh, and this hails back to the family of God being adopted in the family of God, which is the very beginning of our letter, chapter 1, verse 5. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons. There's the father part right there. Through uh, Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. So there's another touch point is that you, you are all children of the same father. Um, and then, of course, all of this, all of your unity, all of your peacemaking, both the gift and the maintenance and the keeping and the guarding is all to the glory of God, right? Who is over all and through all and in all. Uh, Romans 11, put it this way, for from him and through him and to him are all things to him be glory forever and ever. Amen. God keeps glory or God gives uh, God gives peace for his own glory. As we said last week, to him be glory in the church forever and ever, right? That's, that's, that's the idea. So last statement here, and then, and then we're going to be done. Let's consider the audience. Of, of to which Paul is talking. Paul, Paul is talking to an audience who is ancient in nature, and in, in their day, they serve many, many gods. And you have, a, you have a God for every city. You have a God for every country. You have a God for every different area in your life, actually, multiple gods, right? So there's so the Greek uh, pantheon is full of many gods, and there's a God for this and a God for that, and you worship this and you worship that. And what Paul is telling them is you be in solidarity with one another because you're not like them. You don't serve many gods. You be unified together in peace because you serve one God. So this is the oneness of God. This is the champion of monotheism here. That's what this creed is talking about. One God, just one, not all of these other things, but be unified and keep peace with one another in honor of God's oneness, in honor of God's gift. Keep it well. Don't be quarrelsome. Let your life be a mirror of the peace and the unity of God. Now, that's not, that's not our audience today. Our audience today lives in a culture where we have basically left the idea of God behind, haven't we? 
So polytheism is not our issue at all. It's just we live in a culture that doesn't give any in, in, in any concern uh, to God. We we live without reference to God. That's the idea. And it doesn't matter if it's our culture or their culture. Paul's message to both groups is the same. You live your life unified under the rule of God, showing them the kind of world that you live in. God created, God controlled, and God sustained. You you live in the world that God has made, keeping peace with one another, being peaceable, not being contentious, being agreeable, finding unity within the church where there needs to be, and by doing so, show them the rule of God. Show them that you believe in the God-created, God-controlled, God-sovereignty, God-sustained world in which you live. Uh, This, to me, is sort of the natural outworking of this creed that we, we reflect God's rule when we reflect God's unity. Are we known as a... Thanks for listening to the Ecclesia of Noonan Sermon podcast. If you'd like to show your support, find out more information, or hear more like this, check out our website, ecclesianoonan.com.